You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. It's a little bit easier to find than Habakkuk, I think, right? Philippians chapter 4. Um, if you need a handout, pull up your hand really quick. There's, you can, it didn't work. Uh-oh. It needs more paper. Well, there you go. If you weren't anxious enough, we've got a printer problem, everybody, okay? So uh, anyway, there's some extra. If you have an extra at your table, can you just hold that up really quick? There's one over here. Uh, we've got, okay, we've got an extra in there. Perfect. Okay, um, so here's what I want to do. As we go through Habakkuk for three weeks as a church, um, hopefully you see, this, is, this has been the common message I've heard all day today. Man, Habakkuk sounds like it was written in 2021. <laughs> sounds very appropriate and, and timely, right? Um, let me just go ahead and tell you that the, the, the next two chapters, are, I think, uh, when we're just getting started, uh, in fact, if you, if you think about the graphic, if you notice that Daniel did a great job putting it together, but one of the things he said, what do I need to have in there? I said, you need to have a deer somewhere in it. He's like, okay. And I said, because you get to the end of chapter three and there's going to be this illustration of a deer that is so key to uh, what the whole message is. And I'm going to fast track it, but it doesn't mean you can skip church in two weeks. Here, here's what he means. He's, he's going to say, God, you've made my feet like the deer and I can walk upon these high places now. So it's almost as if, hey, God, when all this stuff was going on, I couldn't walk in certain terrain because it was too difficult for my feet to even get there. And God says, well, I can change that. I can transform so that you can walk in areas you never thought that you could walk in before, that he can actually allow us to go through those hard, challenging, difficult times because he's transforming us to walk through them. He doesn't say, I'm going to get you out of them. He just says, I'm going to allow you to be able to walk through them. Does that make sense? And that's a good message for us because, folks, we cannot avoid the conflicts of all this life, can we not? They're always going to be there. So the issue is not how do we avoid the anxiety of life, but it's more so how do we walk through it. And so as we do this, what we want to do for the next three weeks, so tonight and the next two weeks, we're going to look at how do we walk through certain situations like this? How do we walk through anxiety? Here's what I know. Um, Some of you are here tonight because, hey, we're having... Equip, and I'm always here to equip. Some of you are here tonight because you thought, well, I probably need to come this, this Sunday night or this message kind of resonate with me. Some of you are here because you really need to hear a message on anxiety. Some of you go, I really need to help somebody that's struggling with anxiety. And even as we were joking before we started, some of you were anxious about us starting about anxiety, right? Okay, it's kind of like there, there's this sense of, okay, what is all this going to speak to? Um, the, if you think through it, let me ask a question. If you go back through kind of um, my week and the sermon illustration I used this morning, how many of you had your wisdom teeth taken out? Raise your hand. Okay, awesome. Survivors, here we are. Okay, um, how many of you did not think it was wise for me to stay awake through the entire process? Raise your hand. Okay, okay, I get it. Okay, judge me all you want to. Um, I am a cheapskate, okay? I really am. And typically, things just don't rattle me. And, and probably they should a little bit more than they do. But they just said, look, you know, and I said, I don't think this is going to bother me too much. They said, well, you know, we can do this, whatever. And I said, I, I, I don't, if it costs that much to be knocked out, I, just fine, just take it there. And, and so I, I was kind of that way. I often have to realize this, that when my wife, who also needs to have her wisdom teeth removed, the same dentist told her that propaganda once again. But he said, 
you need to have your wisdom teeth removed. She doesn't want to do it. And so I've been telling her all week, baby, it hasn't been that big of a deal. I'm okay. She goes, that means nothing to me. And I said, what do you mean? Like, I'm completely fine. It's, it's been a little sore. It's a little uncomfortable, but I'm okay. She goes, but your ability to manage pain is different than my ability to manage pain. Your fear about these things is very different than my fear. Does that resonate with anybody here? So all of us will handle the wisdom teeth kind of conversation a little bit different. Why is that? Same process being done. We're all different. Y'all do realize that, right? Think about your family. Think about the time when you heard a storm was happening. Everybody in your house reacted differently. Some people were like, God's oh, not going to hit us. Some are literally under the bed praying and asking God to intervene, right? We're just all wired very, very differently. And why is that? I have no clue. But some of us struggle more than others. Some in this room, you barely get rattled, and you might need to be rattled from time to time, okay? Some of you, it can be the smallest thing. What we would call in, in our house, we call there certain triggers that sort of, you know, get our emotions kind of all up in, right? Some of you know that small things turn into big things really quick, do they not? And some of you also know just a bunch of small things stacked on top of each other feels really big. And so this is what's so complicated for us to really dive into, but it is important for us to walk that anxiety attacks, and, and how we address it, that it, it hand, all of us handle it very differently. Um, and I will approach anxiety like I would do many other things. I don't think having anxiety in its instant, simplest form is sinful, okay? You know why? There's a lot of biblical people that felt very anxious about when stuff happened. When I think about the person even of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, was there ever a moment in his life where he got overwhelmed? Yeah. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? He is about to go to the cross, and what does he say? He gets his closest friends and says, will you guys come and pray with me? They're like, it's really late, and we're really asleep. He goes, I need you to stay awake with me. I don't, I don't want to be left alone right now. Have you ever felt like that in your life? Don't leave me. Stay here by my side. Well, yeah, we're there. They're out, right? Start snoring. They're done. And what does Jesus do? It says that he fell down from them, crying out to God, if there's another way, now will be the opportune time for you to show it. And a bunch of fishermen named Peter, James, and John noticed something that night that is very unique, that medicine at that time would not have picked up on it, but they wrote it down, and it's contained in our Gospels, and later on, modern medicine said, we know exactly what's happening. They said, we looked at Jesus and he was sweating, but he was sweating, it almost looked like drops of what? Blood. Blood. Now, fishermen were not thinking a medical procedure. They said, it was weird. It's just like he was sweating drops of blood. It was really weird. Let's write that down. Okay. And then hundreds of years later, people said, oh, that's a medical condition called hematidrosis. That when someone is under such stress and anxiety, their blood vessels burst and blood gets in the sweat stream and actually comes out of the pores. Jesus experienced hematidrosis because the weight of the world was on his shoulders so much that it literally physically was attacking him and he didn't want to be left alone. Now I say that to encourage some of you. You feel overwhelmed? You feel like you cannot make it? You're scared to be alone? You, you, hey, you're in good company. But what this doesn't give us is a free pass to indulge in anxiety. Because if we're not careful, what might be a natural response to the way that you're wired, if you don't challenge it or work against it, it can turn sinful, okay? I don't think in its immediate form, right? Like if, if you see some kind of um, danger coming, I think you need to be alarmed, right? You need to be protective. 
But you can't live in a state of fear all the time as if God does not have you in his grasp. So there is a difference here. So we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4 and walking through this worksheet together, but talking about that phrase that Paul said, anxious for what? Nothing. <laughs> it's easy for you, Paul, right? It's easy for you to say that, real spiritual sounding. But we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4. And um, at the end of this letter, he, he says some very important things that I want to break down in a very practical way tonight. Philippians chapter 4, uh, I'm going to read verses 4 through 9, and then we're going to unpack it a little bit. But let's hear it all together. Uh, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say what? Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, uh, all right, Bible scholars in the room, Paul writes this letter to the Philippian church. Does anybody know where he was when he wrote it? He was in jail. Sitting in a prison for doing what? God's work. And he tells everyone, rejoice. Now, um, I can rejoice if I'm out at the beach. I can rejoice if I'm up in the mountains. I can rejoice if all of a sudden there are good things happening to me in life. If I am chained to a guard because I've been doing God's work, that's hard to rejoice, right? That's hard. But Paul starts off very clearly saying you need to rejoice. And, and, and so when you think about verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Why do you think he has to say it two times? Because we need to hear it, okay? We need to hear it a few times. Repetition takes place for us. We, we desperately need it. God reminds us to rejoice because our habit is to worry. You've got to make a decision to rejoice. Again, I'm going to tell you, you need to rejoice. Why? Because our tendency is to worry. Worry about what? Worry about our family. Worry about our finances. Worry about our health. Worry about the future. Worry about the past. Worry about anything and everything we can think through, right? We worry about our worry. We become anxious about our anxiety. It can literally cripple us to some point. Many of us know that Jesus' words at the end of Matthew chapter 6 are very helpful when he goes, don't worry about tomorrow. Why? This is what I love about Jesus. He does not say, don't worry about tomorrow because it's going to be fine. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. It's got enough trouble of its own. Oh, no, 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 don't go there. Just deal with today, okay? This is enough right here, right now. Don't, don't worry about tomorrow. Why? Because tomorrow's going to have enough troubles. You need to focus right here, right now. Folks, most of the stuff that makes us overwhelmed are the things that we're worried about tomorrow. And, and Paul comes along and says, you're going to have to rejoice. And that's going to be a decision that you have to make. And, and it, because our habit is to worry, we are always concerned about this. Um, uh, difference between a half glass full, half glass empty person, right? Okay. Uh, my wife and I, we always joke in our house. I say that I'm a realist and she's a pessimist. She says she's the realist and I'm an optimist. Which I go, is an optimist being a bad thing, right? Okay. But what happens is, is if something bad happens, I'm going to have to find the positive in it. That's just the way that I am. But sometimes, to her, and she's, and she's right in this, sometimes I can be so cloud oriented, oh, I'll be fine, everything's going to be okay, don't worry, that she's like, do you not accept reality? 
Like, this is serious. Like, we've got to address that. And sometimes my, like, everything will be fine tells her you're not taking this seriously. But sometimes I'm going, hey, I can't live in this. Like, everything's going to be wrong, right? We have to be able to grasp what the situation is, but not let it grasp us, if that makes sense. Okay? Uh, Brace, this is, this is challenging. This is serious. This is not be laughed at, but I can't let it take over with me, right? So to battle anxiety, you must get specific about the reasons you have to rejoice. He says it, look, rejoice in the Lord. How many times? Always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Can I rejoice in prosperity and in poverty? Can I rejoice when I'm full and when I'm empty? Can I rejoice when things are going well and when things are going very challenging to me? Can I rejoice in the midst of all things? And so to battle anxiety, you've got to get specific about the reasons you have to rejoice. Okay? So a lot of times, even before we have our, our meal at night, we will look at the family and before we pray, we will say, what do we have to thank God for today? Because you know what? Even your prayers before a meal can be really trite, can they not? You say the same thing over and over, and, and sometimes you have to get very, very specific about what do we have to rejoice for. Um, my son Eli, when he was just starting to want to pray when he was really young, I always think about this one time we were sitting outside of Chick-fil-A, and I said, well, buddy, do you want to pray? He's like, yeah, I want to pray, Daddy. I said, okay, buddy, you can pray. And, and so he just starts praying. He goes, dear God, I just want to thank you for these Chick-fil-A nuggets and these waffle fries, and I want to thank you for this high C, and I want to thank you for that ketchup, and I'm, I'm looking. He's just looking at everything on the table and just thanking God for everything. Hey, listen, that ain't a bad approach, okay? Like, sometimes that's one of the best ways that we can fight against anxiety. What are all the things that I have to rejoice about? Folks. We got to gather as a church today. We got to gather as a church today. You, you probably didn't have to walk here, but even if you did, my goodness gracious, it's a beautiful day to walk. Everybody, as far as I can see it, you're clothed. You're in a comfortable seat. You've had enough food today. You have, I mean, folks, we're, we're blessed. We are very, very blessed. But sometimes it's a conscious effort to say, what do I have to be thankful for? I have to decide... I'm going to rejoice. It's not, we think that rejoice is an emotion. It's a verb, decision. You do this. You decide to rejoice. I will say this, that some of the most meaningful times of worship in my life have also been the most difficult times. Y'all ever been in church before and you're supposed to sing and you're like, this is hard to sing. Man, I just don't feel it today. And you do it anyway. And you realize that God is worthy even when your life is all messed up and there is something deep about it. Right? Um, I, I typically say uh, this way when, when you decide to rejoice and really follow God. Um, you remember when, uh, depending upon, you know, if you ever had anybody teach you how to swim, and I know some of you said, well, I learned to swim because somebody threw me in the deep end, right? Some of that, your story, okay? Um, when, when I was coming up, you probably have been, you know, taken somewhere for that. Well, we, we had those swimmies on your arms. Remember those horrible things that would, like, literally rip your flesh off as you're getting them on, right? Okay? You put them down, and, and, and there's this deal with swimmies. They're supposed to keep you afloat, so you start learning how to do strokes. But after a while, you're like, you're not supposed to be 16 wearing swimmies anymore, right? Okay? You're supposed to, like, some point take them off. It's kind of just culturally not acceptable. Um, and and so, so what are the swimmies there for? They're there to keep you afloat before you can swim on your own. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, I believe that sometimes when I first started walking with the Lord, that it's almost as if the emotions that he gave me immediately were almost swimmies to keep me above the water. 
Everything was kind of good. I was excited. And when I go to church, man, that, that sermon's directly for me. And oh, that's a, my favorite worship song. And oh, I feel those goosebumps, right? And oh, so and so, I read this. And oh, it's speaking to me. I mean, just, I'm, I'm keeping water. And all, all of a sudden, one day, God's like, give me the swimmies back. I'm like, oh, these are good. These are fine. We're, we're good here. We're, we're going to go, no, no, no. You're going to have to learn how to swim now. These emotions aren't going to keep you afloat anymore. So what am I going to do? You're going to have to fight to rejoice. It's a decision. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Can we go through our lives and think through people who've gone through some of the deepest, darkest moments, and you see them rejoice, and it is something to behold. Um, I have sat on the stage in that sanctuary before and I have conducted a funeral for a dad whose young daughter is consoling her mother after losing her dad and, and her mom's husband and I'm, and I'm sitting on stage trying to be able to be able to get up and preach and as mom is struggling the 8 year old daughter goes mom it's going to be okay God's good and I can see her mouth in those words in those moments you go Keep it together, number one. <laughs> and number two, you go, rejoice in the Lord always. There's always something to rejoice about. And afterwards, I sit down with that little girl and said, um, how can you do that right now? And her mind, the way she's computing things, I know it's kind of difficult for her, right? But I talked to her that day, and I said, you miss your dad, don't you? She said, yeah. And I said, but you got eight years with a great daddy, didn't you? She said, yeah. And those are a great eight years. That's when you start fighting to rejoice, Right? It's when you're making a, a conscious mental decision that you're going to do that. The, the next thing in verse 5 I think is very important, uh, and this is to gather. It says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Okay, now, What does this mean? Let your reasonableness be known to who? Everyone. So how many of you feel like you're very reasonable on most days, right? Okay, I want to answer that. How many of you feel like you live with someone unreasonable? Okay, maybe that might be easier, right? If you're thinking that you're living in a reasonable way, it's going, okay, I can, I can process things fairly. Have you ever been in a place where you feel like, I can't even process things in a, in a, in a healthy way? There are some people who go through some stages in life where I look at them, and, and, I, and as honest and as lovingly as I can, you're going through so much pain right now, I don't trust you to make the decision where to eat for lunch today. You're, you're not reasonable right now. Like, it's just too much pain, too much emotions, too much change. You, you just, you're not in a good space. You've got to kind of take a moment, get a breath, get some help and whatnot. Paul says when you're rejoicing, now I want you to let your reasonableness be known, but I want to let you know to everyone that you're saying this, the Lord is at hand. And so why is this important to gather? Because you can't let your reasonableness be known to everyone unless you're around everyone. Okay, and that seems simplistic. But he's saying it's important that when you're rejoicing that you let other people know that, and the only way you can do that is if you're actually around other people. Uh, anxiety is amplified in isolation, folks. Okay. Anxiety is amplified in isolation. And I think Paul is giving a very subtle but huge indication for us. You get around other folks. You're struggling, you get around everyone. Who's everyone? Well, in this context, he's talking about the church. Let everybody know that you're reasonable, that you're thinking through things. And folks, anxiety is bad in of itself, is it not? But you isolate, and it's a real problem. It's a real problem. You know what the devil wants to get you to do in isolation? To think you're the only person struggling the way that you're struggling. You're the only one. 
Nobody else goes through this. It's only you. You're so messed up. Nobody else in this world has struggled. You know what I have never seen happen in my life? Throughout all the small group Sunday school classes, you name it, that I've ever been in. Whenever anybody says, I'm struggling in this area, and they were bold enough to be honest, y'all pray for me, I'm going through this. I have never seen this happen. Everybody in the room goes, really? I've never struggled like that. Oh my goodness, what's wrong with you? I've never seen that happen. You know what typically happens? Someone's bold and brave enough to say, I'm struggling with anxiety and I'm shamed, or I'm struggling with this issue and I don't know what to do and I need help. Somebody in the group says, I've been there. I've been there. Something happens though when you're isolated and you don't let anybody know what's going on. You won't be known. You don't want to know anybody else. That all of a sudden you start listening to the voices in your head that you're the only person who does this and it amplifies. It amplifies an isolation. The more that you're isolated, the worse that it gets. And this is why Paul is saying, you need to get around some folks. You need to get around some praying folks. Some people are going to push you in the right direction. That can help when you don't feel reasonable. You need some people to help you be reasonable. Do you have those people in your life, by the way, that help you think straight? Do you have that short list of people, right? You go, I don't, I don't know. You need to find them, okay? You need to find the people in your life that you go, this isn't making sense. It seems like all the world is falling apart. And someone that can speak truth and reason into your own life. Because if you don't have it, it gets super dangerous, folks. I have a short list of people in my life that if I know I cannot think straight, I will call and I'm going to speak very pointed to it and they're going to be very honest with me. And you know what? Sometimes they say what I know I expect them to say and sometimes I don't want to hear it, but I know that I need to. Get around them. Get around those people. Let your reasonableness, your thinking clearly be known to everyone. So testifying to others about your reasonable resolve helps fortify your mind. So when I'm testifying to what I know about reasonable resolve, I'm going to tell tell Steve, I'm going to tell Tommy, I'm going to tell Young, this is what I'm thinking, this is how I'm processing things. It helps fortify in my mind, and it helps me so that I don't start backing off what I know what I need to do. Does that make sense? If you you make that commitment in your mind and you don't share it with anybody, guess what? By tomorrow, you'll be questioning it. You'll be doubting it. You'll be thinking, maybe I don't need to do that. Maybe I don't know. But when you let somebody else know what's going on, When you share with somebody else, it fortifies that in your mind. And so he says you've got to be able to get your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Having others around you reminds you that God is with you. I love the way that he says that. So let it be known to everybody, the Lord is at hand. And so when you have others around you, it reminds you that God is with you. Uh, You're not alone. You're not isolated. You're not the only person going through it. The Lord is at hand. How do you know that? Because there's other people beside you. I'll give you a great example why. Some of you have ever been in that place in your life. If you know that people are praying for you, is that not special? That's wonderful. How many of you know that there has been a difference in your life? Um, I'll give you a great example. I've watched this play out in my entire life. Someone can be going down to an altar and praying and just crying out to God and seeking, and something happens when someone walks behind them and puts a hand on the shoulder. Does it not? (laughs) And, and sometimes, I, I've loved it. I've watched it. It's been in my own life. Sometimes I have prayed for the Lord, and I've been down there and going, God, I just need help right now. And all of a sudden, a hand goes, and I, I have no idea who it is. What is that in that moment? It's a tangible reminder God going, I'm still with you, boy. You're not alone. Someone is here with you. There's something that we need to know. We're not by ourselves. Satan wants you to think that. 
But all of a sudden, when we're around other people, it allows our reasonableness to be known. The Lord is at hand. It reminds us we're, we're not alone. So don't live in isolation. Um, if Jesus himself said, Peter, James, and John, I need y'all to come with me and pray with me. I'm, 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 I'm at a low spot right now. If Jesus needs that and you think you're going to do better than him, and you go, well, all his friends fell asleep. At least he was wise enough to call them out. I need you. I, I, I need you walking with me right now. Um, so are there people around you in your life that know what's going on? Uh, and and our, our gospel group, um, we meet on Wednesday night. Um, Amanda and I, um, we've never been in a group together since we've been married. So when we got into a group together, this was a unique thing for me. She's always like, you know, this, this should just be different. But what we do is we typically spend about 40 minutes together with all guys and gals and whatnot. But then about the last 20 minutes, we separate. And I take the guys across the hall, and she, and she keeps the ladies there, and we just kind of pray. And, and let me tell you, there's something beautiful that happens that when I can say, guys, pray for me this week, this is going on. Or someone else says, hey, pray for me, I'm struggling in this area. Pray for me, I'm worried about this. And it's great that we can pray. You know what's even better? When somebody texts or calls or checks on you the day that that's happening. What is it a reminder of? You're not alone. You're not alone. I know Satan's trying to tell you you're alone. You're not alone. To be able to get a text message on Thursday, say, how'd the surgery go? Do you need anything? You're not alone. It's just a reminder, right? Like you, you just reminded, you're not alone in this. And it's such a needed thing for us. So if you're struggling with anxiety, you, you do need to think, okay, how do I rejoice, but how do I also gather with other people? The next thing, you knew this was coming, right? Pray, right? Ah, it's a church answer. It's a pretty good church answer, by the way. Um, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. If you are anxious, are you praying? You go, well, I, I think about it a lot. That's different than praying. I obsess about it. It's on my mind all the time. That's different. I know in our culture right now, um, if somebody is not a believer in Jesus Christ, we don't say, I'm praying for you. They say, my thoughts are with you. I don't want your thoughts. I want you praying, okay? Like, I don't care anything about your thoughts. Like, I, I want you talking to God on my behalf. Like, I don't want you thinking about me. I want you to praying for me. There's a difference than thinking about the situation and, and then turning those thoughts into prayer. So Paul is teaching us this truth. Don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. You go, ah, but is that that big of an issue to pray about God? If it's an issue that's big to you, it's big to God. You're his child. I don't care how ridiculous it f feels like, to be honest with him. If my daughter comes to me and says, Dad, I'm worried about this, that's a concern for me. I'm her dad. I don't care what it is. I don't care how ridiculous it sounds. I don't care if it goes, there ain't nobody in that closet. Get over it. Like that, that, That's not how I would do it, right? If, if it's a concern for you, it's a concern for, for me. And so deep down, uh, I can, um, I, I've told this before, but um, she is, so the boys share a room together. Gloria's in a room by herself. And one day she kind of had this moment where she looked at, she told my wife Amanda this. She said, i just the only person in this house that's to sleep in a room by myself, and I think it's wrong. <laughs> well, we ain't got anybody else. I don't know what you want to do. Right? This is it, okay? She's like, you sleep in the same room with Daddy, Obi and Eli get to sleep together, and y'all stick me in this room all by myself. That's what she said, okay, a few years ago. Stick me in this room all by myself, right? The grandma got this gigantic bunny that's about her same size, right? That, that's supposed to help. But there are some times where she would just struggle, and she'd just come downstairs. I don't like being in the room by myself. I just don't like it. And you know what I said as a loving father? 
Get over it, right? No, that's not what I said. In fact, one time I honestly felt like this was the Lord's test on my life, okay? It was a very close football game, and she came down, and I'm just scared. Just just pray about it. Go, you know, just... She goes, Dad, and, 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 and Amanda says, you, you're okay, we're downstairs, whatever. And she just looks at me, and I said, I'll go with you. You know why? Because I never want my daughter thinking that football is more important than her. So I'm going to go, and I'm going to lay on that floor, and I'm just going to stay there until she falls asleep. Daddy, are you, are you still there? I'm still there, little girl. Go to bed, please. <laughs> <laughs> and, and sometimes... One time, one time I never forget, I was laying on the floor, and I, my, this body ain't meant to be laying on the floor anyway, but okay. And, and, I, and sh- she looks up, she goes, huh, you're still down there. I said, yeah, still down there. And I'm going to be there until you're at peace, right? Because when I wanted her, when she talks to her dad and says, I need something, I want her to know her dad's going to be there. Why? Because I want her to process that her Heavenly Father is even that in abundance. When she's got a concern and she talks to him, he drops everything and comes to her side. That's what prayer is, folks. You, you come to him and you say, you can pray about anything, anything that's on your mind, anything that's making you anxious, anything that's overwhelming you. He's not going to go, that's stupid. Why are you so worried about that? Some of you think that because that's the way your daddy did stuff, right? Why are you so That's not how God works. He knows we're frail. He knows we're fragile. He knows we need help. So when you come to him and say, I've got issues, he's going to say, okay, that's fine. So as you pray about specific concerns, include gratitude about undeniable blessings. I love what he says here. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. What does that mean? So as I'm praying about all the stuff that's on my mind and making me anxious, he says, pray with thanksgiving. Going back to that rejoicing thing. So... Um, there have been times where I'm going, God, I don't, if I go back a, a year ago, God, what's going to happen to our church in the, if we can't gather? But God, thank you for the technology that we can at least share the message. God, what's going to happen if I can't, but thank you that we can check on each other. This way. God, what's gonna, what can I thank God for the midst? It's, it's this kickback every time. And the more that I thank God in my prayers for who he is and what he's done, the less overwhelming my requests seem to be. Does it make sense? The more that I say, God, you are great, you are mighty, you can do all things, thank you for this, thank you for this, thank you for this, thank you for this. Oh, and by the way, here's my list. Of course you can handle this. Of course you can. Because uh, as I'm praying, I'm praying with thanksgiving. I'm letting my requests be made known to God. And then we get to this aspect of rest. Verse 7 says, And the peace of who? God. Peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. Have any of you ever experienced that before? Like, the whole world is falling apart, right? And I'm good. I'm at peace. Everything just seems like there's no way in the world this is all going to work out, and I'm good. I can rest. Why? Because my dad watches out for me, that's why. The peace of God. And it surpasses all understanding. It don't make sense sometimes, right? Have you ever known that person in your life, their entire world was falling apart, and then you came to check on them, and they start checking on you? What's wrong with you? 
Like, shouldn't you be overwhelmed? The sky is falling. I'm at rest. Why? The peace of God surpasses all understanding. It's guarding my heart. It's guarding my mind. It's guarding it in Christ Jesus. If you think about it, there is a peace that is so unbelievable, only God can provide it. Circumstances can't provide it. Self-talk can't provide it. Uh, working out can't provide it. Okay? Um, Watching something funny can't provide it. There is a peace of God that surpasses all comprehension. It's so unbelievable that only God could provide it. That there is sometimes this peace that comes upon you that literally just arrests your soul and you go, I'm all right. I'm going to be okay. No matter what takes place, I'm going to be fine. And it's a reasonable peace. Something that you can say, Paul says, I'm in jail right now and I have a peace that everything's going to turn out just fine i just have confidence in the fact that it's going to there is a peace that is also so available that circumstances could never remove it folks there's a peace that's so available so close to us circumstances cannot remove it there have been moments in my life where i have been overwhelmed about the challenges that are ahead of me and if i would just do a quick overview over god's uh, hand in my life I kind of just feel like this isn't that big of a deal. I, 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 don't, I don't see why I'm so concerned about it. It's so available, circumstances can't even remove it. Um, one, one of the, my favorite realizations, the first time I ever read through the Bible, was uh, when I was in Matthew, and I read in chapter 14 about how Jesus fed the 5,000, and then I got to chapter 15, and I thought there was a typo, because it says Jesus fed the 4,000. No, it's 5,000. I read about that yesterday. They messed this up. Why would they put that in there? Did you know that there's actually two events? One time Jesus fed 5,000 people, and some time later he fed 4,000. You go, what, what, what is the deal? So get this picture. Jesus feeds 5,000 men and their wives and children at one point. They had, does anybody remember how many loaves of bread they had? They had five loaves and two fish, and it says they all ate and were satisfied. And at some point later, it doesn't say how many days, weeks, months, whatever, there are 4,000 people. They have seven loaves and a few fish. You know what a few means? More than two. All right? This is in my mind. So first time, more people, less resources. Second time, less people, more resources. And the disciples go, and just where do you expect us to get enough food to feed everybody? And I imagine if Jesus ever wanted to slap anybody, that was the point, right? Okay, like this, this, I'm done. I got, I'm sorry. I, I've been kind enough. I'm going to literally wear everybody out, right? And what does he do? He says, sit down. He broke it and blessed and he provided for them. And, and, and when I read that, first time I was a college student, I thought that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. Like how could they be so overwhelmed when they had seen him do for more people with less resources, now less people and more resources, and how could they ever look at God and be unaware of how he would answer it? And I was so frustrated with them until I realized I'd do the same thing. God, what are you going to do? Have you not even remembered what happened last week? God, how are we going to fix this? Do you not remember what it was like when I rescued you back then? You're worried about this? And, and so, so with this, folks, there, there's a piece that you go, I don't care what the circumstances are, I'm good. I'm, I am good. And that type of peace is so available. God's peace can guard both your heart, your emotions, and your mind, which are your thoughts. I love, I love the way it's put there. It'd be powerful if he said that it can guard your heart or guard your mind. He says it can guard both. 
in the Bible, the heart, it, it's not the like uh, touchy-feely, like, oh, I just feel like all oh, my heart. The heart was emotions, but, you know, emotions can register you to make an, a decision, right? So if you feel rage, you're going to act on it. You're deciding. So the heart is the center of really your emotions and your drive for your decision-making. Most of us make our decisions, right or wrong, based on our emotions, where we feel, where we direct it, right? So it says that kind of peace can guard your heart, your emotions, but also can guard your mind. And so it's, it's what you feel and what you think. This is the type of peace of God, all right? Um, some of us, probably if, if we were to you know, really think about it and process for every single person, some of you struggle more in the emotion department and some of us struggle more in the thought department, right? Uh, some of you go, is there all of the above? Because that's, that's okay, right? Um, some of you wouldn't know what it's like this. Some days I just wake up and I just don't feel it. I, I just, I don't know why. I, I'm not doing anything differently. I just woke up and I just feel sad. I feel overwhelmed. I, I can't put my finger on it. I just, mm. something I've never said in my life, but I've heard many people say, sometimes I just feel like I need a good cry. I hear that. I've never felt that way. I'm just not, I'm not a very emotional person. Some of you go, I'm feeling like one right now. Okay, like some of it, we just wait and you go, I, I don't know, it's, it's the emotions and you didn't ask for it. It just shows up, right? Some of us cannot turn this off. You go to bed, it's racing. It's not affecting your emotions. You just can't stop thinking about past, present, future, all kinds of stuff, your mistakes you've made, concerns about tomorrow. It just won't turn off. And God's saying, I can handle both of those. You pray about these things, and you can rest. How? In my emotions? Yep. In my thoughts? Yep. You can, you can find rest. You can find peace. It is actually possible. The next thing he says is to focus, right? Verse 8. I love this. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Folks, if you want to fight against anxiety, you better start focusing on the good stuff. Comes back to it. But in a unique way, a little bit different than what he said previously, you have to retrain yourself about what thoughts you allow to linger. You gotta fight, folks. So you got the option to think about what's wrong or what's right, you think about what's right. You got the option to think about what's evil or what's good, you think about what's good. If you got to think about all the stuff that's undone or the things that have been accomplished, you've got to retrain yourself. I, if there's going to be a thought that's going to be allowed to linger in my mind, it's going to be these. The rest of them, I'm going to kick out. I'm going to move. I'm going to put them in their proper place. Now, it doesn't mean that you process and, and act like trial, but going, oh, everything will be fine. Don't, no, no, deal with it. But you have to learn, retrain yourself what thoughts linger in your mind. Folks, some of us are still obsessing about things that happened decades ago. You haven't moved on from it. And why is that? You go, you have to retrain. I can't let those things linger in my mind anymore. I'm going to focus on, what does it say? What's true? Folks, are there lies out there that Satan wants to whisper in your ear right now? About who you are, about the world? He is telling you all the time lies. He is the father of lies. And he says, you focus on what is true. What is true? You get in God's word. That's what's true. Uh Focus on what is honorable. What is something that brings honor to God and to others? Whatever is just. What is the right thing? Whatever is pure, right? Not things that are impure. You think on pure things. 
whatever is lovely, it's full of love and compassion, whatever is commendable, something that's committed, it was worthy. If there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You decide what thoughts linger in your mind. So prioritize thinking intentionally about what is good and right in your life. You prioritize it, you fight, and you get intentional. I am going to focus on what is good. I am going to focus on what is right. Some of you need to have a journal, a scratch piece of paper, a note card, that when you feel overwhelmed, you just start writing down everything that is good, and you fight. All right? This is good. This is good. This is good. This is good. And you just keep pouring it out, and you're going to start realizing there are so many blessings out there that are in your life right now. But you know what happens? It gets overshadowed because of all the good stuff, right? All the good stuff. Um, I, I can think about a, a friend that I, uh, one time we were, um, he met up with me or something, and as soon as he gets out of the car, he's like, oh, you won't believe this happened, this happened, da, 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 da. and he's just overwhelmed. He, here comes all the concerns. Like, like, I'm drinking from a fire hydrant. He just comes out of the car. I don't even think he said hello, and he just, here's all the stuff. And I said, stop, stop. He goes, what? And I said, I want you to take a deep breath. I'm breathing. I said, not really. She's like, <gasps> and I said, now I want you to look up. He's like, oh, what? Just look. Your dad made that. I want you to look at this spring day. And I want you to look at the skies above. And I want you to think about the breath that you're breathing. And I want you to realize this. Your father has you calm down. You've got to think about what's good right now. So for maybe for you, you have to get intentional about what are those things that are right. And the last thing that I would say is persevere in verse 9. Because <laughs> here's the thing, folks. I don't care what answer the world gives us. If you're struggling with anxiety, do this and you won't struggle anymore. That's a lie, right? Hey, just do a little bit more of this in your life and you'll be fine. <laughs> it never works. Sometimes you do it and it makes it worse, does it not? It's kind of like those... Um, those uh, pharmaceutical commercials, y'all ever seen those things? Hey, if you're having this issue, take this thing. This will fix your issue. Oh, and by the way, the side effects could be blood clots, heart attacks, or death. <laughs> I think I'll just deal with a skin rash, okay? Like, let me just, I'll, I'll go with that option. I'm going to die or just have a little itchy spot. I'll go with the itchy spot, right? Like, uh, here, here's the thing. You cannot just do one thing and anxiety is forever fixed. It rears its ugly head. Sometimes when you find success, right? You've been doing pretty good for a few months, a few years, and all of a sudden something happens and takes you out. And Paul says it this way. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Don't expect a one-time decision, one-time moment to fix it all and you're good. You've got to persevere through it. You've got to keep working. Whatever you learn and see throughout what Paul is saying here in Scripture, you persevere in it. Don't believe that a one-step effort will fix a long-term issue. We are just not meant that way. Yes. Could working out help you? Sure. Could being outside help you? Absolutely. Could be around some good friends help you? Absolutely. Do you need to talk to your doctor? Possibly. There's all kinds of things. There's counseling in your, your future? Maybe. All of these things are good. But don't expect a one-time, hey, I'm good. 
hey, I've been struggling with this issue for 30 years, but I went and talked to a counselor for 30 minutes. I'm all good now. You're better, but you may not be all the way there, and it doesn't mean it's not going to rear its ugly head again. It comes out, and sometimes we don't see it coming. If it's a lifelong battle with anxiety, we need to develop a long-term plan. And I think Paul has laid out this plan for us, okay? He's told us to rejoice. He's told us to gather with other believers. He's told us to pray. He's told us to rest in these things. He's told us to focus on certain things and persevere in it to know this might be a lifelong battle. Some of you know this, right? And, and um, anxiety is your struggle. Some, all right, some in this room, you get anxious from time to time, right? It's kind of like a cold. Every so often you get it, and in a couple of days you're over. Some of you feel like it's chronic, and it's what you live with. We have certain things that entangle us, Hebrews 12 tells us. Certain things that entangle us, and they're not all the same things. Um, some of you parents know that you could see that child at three years old was going to be a warrior, right? This one's just, ugh, they're just, the others, they probably need to worry, but this one worries about everything. If, that, if this is your issue, you're going to persevere. You need to develop a long-term plan. And I love the way that Paul says it. He lays out a few things for us to do. But he says, what you've learned, received, heard, and seen in me, once again, seen in relationship, he says, practice these things. Practice makes what? Progress. Some of y'all thought perfect, didn't you? That's a lie. Practice makes perfect. Yeah, you, you point me to that person. Folks, practice does not make perfect. Practice does make progress, though. He says, practice these things, and the God of peace will be what? With you. So, folks, whatever it is that you start doing, you keep practicing it, you're going to start making progress through it. Next week, we're going to be able to unpack some other stuff, but I want to pray for us right now and say, Father, we thank you so much for the example of Paul. I would say that even in the midst of when we have a lot of things to be concerned about, we should rejoice. And we need to gather with other believers so that our reasonableness can be reminded and also known that, the Lord, you are at hand. We can pray about anything. We can fight against anxiety, that your peace comes in, and we can find rest that is unbelievable and it's completely sometimes even unexplainable, God. And we can focus on the things that are right, the things that are good in our life, the things that you are doing. And we can persevere in these practices knowing that we will make progress in this life. It might be our struggle in a big way or a small way, but, God, you you have not given us a spirit of fear. You have not caused us to live in doubt and anxiety. You've caused us to learn to trust. So God, help each precious brother and sister fight against anxiety with these things that you've called us to do. Get a plan in place. Gather some people around them, praying about things, focusing on what is right. And this worthwhile effort is all made possible because your spirit who dwells within us that reminds us we are not alone. And we are so thankful for that. In the name of Jesus, we pray and all God's people said, thank you guys. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.